Here is some food for thought. A business watchdog group surveyed 35 companies that process and sell tuna fish. Of those, only seven could reliably trace their tuna all the way back to a source. On top of that, and in spite of stated human rights policies, only four companies had ways to address the risk of forced labor or other human rights abuses within their tuna supply chains. Welcome to Global Sourcing Insights from SIPS. I'm Bob Rossback, and our topic today is mapping your supply chain, tracking what goes into your products all the way back to their raw materials. With me for the discussion was Bill Michaels, VP Operations, SIPS Americas. So, Bill, some people are mapping their supply chains, um, aren't they? You know, as I look at mapping the supply chain, there's a lot of complexity. Uh, When I ask people about risk management and I ask them about mapping the supply chain, uh, I'll ask people, do you have a risk management uh, process in place? And everybody will raise their hand in a conference. And then when I ask the second question is how many people go beyond tier one? I would say 95% of the hands go down and people uh, realize that they're not really mapping the supply chain. They really don't have a handle on their risk. In fact, one of my clients in the uh, computer chip industry, um, we had this discussion about mapping the supply chain. And when the um, client eventually mapped the supply chain, one supplier, three tiers down, was supplying the entire industry with a component exposing them to a huge amount of risk. So I think people generally would like to do it, but may not have the resources, capability, or there may not be trust in the supply chain to be able to do it. Yes, you do have to have some trust in your or from your suppliers, because how do you get suppliers to hand over their suppliers? Yeah. Uh, you know, they have proprietary relationships in some cases, or they're concerned that you might just bypass them and look at them as a middleman. That's absolutely true. It's uh, very difficult to get uh, to get suppliers to uh, open up and tell you where every component is coming from in the supply chain, and uh, particularly if it's a, if it's um, an Asia-based supplier, or even uh, even when you have a supplier with a brokerage network, and you're getting getting suppliers from different or that different sources or that broker happens to have the category or commodity that you need at that moment. Yes. Now, in spite of the uh, obstacles, some people are doing it. Yes. I mean, there, if you have a fairly simple supply chain, I'm thinking of, uh, you know, we've talked about Nutella and Ferrero, yeah. um, and they are shooting for 100% traceability of hazelnuts right back to the orchard that they came from. Um, so w- what does it take to set up something like that? Well, I think I think the first thing you have to have is you have to have um, a supplier that is open to it. You have to be able to understand where the suppliers are coming, uh, where the supply is coming from. You have to have agreement within the supply chain to be able to trace the stuff. You have to have data systems that enable you to trace it, and you have to have audit capabilities to um, be able to assure that that's exactly what's happening. The problem in agricultural problem products that I've seen is that when you uh, when you have a short uh, a short crop year and the and the uh, uh, crop is short, you need you need the supply for the consumers. Then um, you you go wherever you can go to uh, and pay whatever you need to pay to get the commodity. So um, it's in in normal crop years and in normal times that's great when things tighten up and you have shortage of supply, 
in high demand, then that's another issue because you have to really, really work hard to find those things, get those things at a price that you can afford. So, so in other words, you really have to have a mapping system and then you have to have sort of a risk management system on top of that to consider contingencies so you don't get trapped by a bad crop year. Absolutely. And so, so in agricultural commodities, it's a little bit different because, again, when you're starting to buy these commodities, um, you buy them um, at a certain price and you're looking at the commodity price and you've got everything under control. And then Mother Nature has, uh, wipes out a crop with a flood or, or a tornado or uh, some, some um, disaster, natural disaster, and, and then your crop is, uh, is gone. So you have to really run around and try and find other places to get it. In the manufacturing sector, you have another problem. You might have intellectual property. A purchase is a must-have, uh, and, and their intellectual property or their patents or whatever um, are essential to the competitiveness of your product. So how do, you, how do you get leverage to open up that supplier to any kind of a mapping exercise? You know, I've had to do that in a, in a couple cases, and it's, it's a very difficult negotiation. It's um, a changing contract, and, and it really becomes um, confidentiality. And, and, you know, really, I think you have to gain the trust of the supplier. The supplier has to understand where you're coming from, and it has to have the same mindset as you. In the, and to start with, it's usually mistrust, and the confidentiality agreements are long and hard to work through. Um, but uh, I think if you have a, a pure motive of managing risk and, and living up to your corporate social responsibility goals, um, you, you probably can work with a supplier to get that done. So you can't expect a, um, an easy process, really? No, I think it, it's pretty difficult. Most suppliers um, in, are, are worried. And, and in, in many cases, some manufacturers have the capability to add a process or build a process or, or even... Um, you know, um, insource some of these products. So there's a difficult uh, uh, situation when you're trying to get someone to give you all of their suppliers, what the supply chain looks like. And then again, they're worried about revealing their margins and their costs. And, and uh, um, so there's not a real transparency uh, in the supply chain at this time. In many cases, I would expect that uh, it, it might take us really a uh, a scary situation. Um, I'm thinking back, oh, maybe six, seven years ago when the uh, Japanese earthquake uh, revealed that there was one supplier of black pigment for the entire auto industry, and that plant, that factory in Japan uh, had, had, had been shut down by the earthquake or the tsunami, and uh, the entire auto industry <laughs> couldn't have black paint. For a little while now that'll throw a scare into you if you hear something like that and you just think well am i vulnerable like that so that would to me it would take something like that to really get your supply chain activated and incentivized to really do this that kind of an exercise you know I, i'd agree with that and you know i i did one one major risk uh, analysis and mapping exercise with a bio biotech company and we, we looked at every supplier in the supply chain we looked at you know where would the goods come from and are, are there alternatives and they were all fda approved so a lot of there was a lot of transparency but there were sole sources there was at least 50 sole sources and i think the worst risk that you have as a, a procurement executive is 
if I have only one source, it's only in one region, it only has one plant, those, those are on the, on the immediate target list for how I'm going to find an alternate. It, it may take five years. And in the case of the biotech company, in some cases, it took five to six years to find alternative products. There was one product I, re- I can recall that they couldn't reproduce. And when they found an alternative product, their yield went from 80% to 68%. Uh, or or even less. Uh, and it took them at least six to seven years to find an alternative to that product. They found an alternative product that brought the yield up to 85%. But if you're not looking at these sole sources and you're not trying to understand what happens, if, if anything happens in the supply chain, you, you're, you're not doing your job as a purchasing executive or even a, a procurement specialist. The ideal situation would have... Would be to have a complete chain of custody, and actually, the FDA sort of has that for pharmaceuticals to some degree, doesn't it? That's that's correct. Every every component, there's there's lot control on every component. There's, um, there's data on every component. You know what's in those components and where it goes. However, while they have it on the uh, pharmaceutical side, they don't have it on on the uh, food side. So the foods the food supply is is wide open and and. Uh, um, the testing is not not as rig- is not rigorous at all, and there is no lot control. Sure, and I just read something about the tuna industry, where uh, I think they said seventy five percent of tuna processors weren't really sure where their tuna was was coming from, or uh, or they couldn't really um, verify that there wasn't forced labor on some boat someplace that was uh, one of their sources. That, 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 that's not, not uncommon in, in agricultural or, or food products because what happens again is you get this uh, mixing of, uh, of supply and uh, the purchase from brokers and supply chain that breaks off and really kind of splinters off into different, different places based on the need, the quantity, the time of the year. And um, and so that doesn't, doesn't surprise me that they don't have a lot of control on things like tuna. Sure. And, you know, in a lot of places, um, I think uh, governments and in general, uh, we like to think that we support small, uh, small businesses and uh, artisanal mines, small, could be small farmers, small plot farmers. But uh, in order to get a significant supply from small lots and small farms and uh, small fisheries, uh, it takes a lot of aggregation. And that's really where the control points uh, break down, isn't it? That's that's what I see for sure. I mean, one of the things you have to think about is, you know, you really have to have key control points when you're. I mean, I, if you start thinking about a process for, you know, map, mapping and controlling the supply chain, the, some of the problems have been it's going to take extra resource to be out there to develop that supply chain. You're going to have to have data systems that are going to actually manage, you know, what's what's happening in that supply chain. Some some are doing really well, like trucks. Trucks are temperature temperature controlled, and from the time it leaves the factory to the time it gets to the uh, to the, the manufacturing site, the temperature's monitored. You, you know where that truck is. You know where it's been, uh, and you know what the temperature's been, so you know that the the product is, is good. Um, so you're going to have to have control points. You're going to have to have people to manage it, data systems to manage it. You're going to have to have an audit capability to make sure that what you think you're getting is what you're really getting. And you're going to have to make sure that you have the compliance and the systems behind it to manage that. And that, that takes a lot of um, um, financial resources. And I don't know 
Um, you have to look at which which companies are putting the financial resources into something as as the complex as mapping the entire supply chain. I think you're negligent if you don't understand what the who the suppliers in that supply chain are, and you're exposing your organization to extreme risk by not really mapping out each step in the supply chain, each supplier in the supply chain, and making sure that you have compliance to your corporate social responsibility programs, your specifications, and uh, and and your uh, and and your entire process is under control. Sure, that's where we need to go, and I think you need a chain of custody to to manage all of the products through the chain. Yeah, I just I can just see the fleet of fishing boats going out, and uh, and, and trying to imagine that as every boat comes in and dumps their fish uh, into the lot, that you would have to identify and tag and number that lot of fish. Uh, from that boat, uh, you know, and then follow that all the way through the supply chain. That could be, that is a huge data uh, management, uh, data collection. You know, how do you have reliable data collection in a system like that? And then how do you track it and maintain it? And you say, even audit it. Uh, that's, that's, and then match it to the actual, you know, what are the conditions on that boat? That's a, that's a huge data management task. And where they, what they come into is they come into a buyer who's looking at the quality of fish and saying, yeah, here's your price. You know, I'll take them and, and putting them together as an aggregated uh, point of view and then selling them. Right, right. <laughs> so if you, you may be a, uh, one of the good boats where everything is going well, but uh, who's to say that the, the aggregator, uh, some distributor or whatever, is mixing your stuff with a whole bunch of fish from bad boats and the quality of the fish is all the same, but uh, the conditions on the boat are not. That's correct. So, so you don't you don't know. I mean, and then the only other way that you can you can manage it. I, I at one point in my career, I was buying fish. Uh, I was buying sardines, oysters, clams, and anchovies, and all those things in the can that people like. And uh, well, what I would have to do is I would have to go out and look at each factory. And when I would, particularly in the anchovy uh, business, because it was it was sensitive. We had that. We had that. It, it had a very short shelf life. We had to put it on refrigerated containers in the ocean and get it over here, and make sure that we had it in and out within the within the six month shelf life. And when I went to all these all these factories, and, and at that time it was Portugal and uh, Spain, and and now it's Morocco. Um, there were there were companies that would have uh, rusty coffee cans where they were aging the uh, anchovies, and there were, were factories that were beautiful stainless steel you know, highly, highly efficient manufacturing plants. And you had to know where your fish was coming from. So as a buyer, you really have to understand where what you're getting, where you're getting it from, and who is supplying you. And and I think that that's the, uh, that's the critical piece of being a buyer. You can't source things from your desk. And then as a, as a uh, procurement person, I, I wouldn't want any consumer to, I want the consumer to get the best quality they can get and enjoy their eating experience. So I would I would definitely make that trip once or twice a year just to make sure everything was working the way it should. And and so it depends on, on the company. Some companies are not willing to invest in the travel. They think travel's uh, the evil, but travel really will protect you, help you. And you can, you can start to map your supply chain because you can sit with the supplier, look at the cans, you can look at options. At that time, it was moving from the old, old key system to a pull tab. So who's supplying this? What's their reliability? What's it going to look like? Can you show me the factory? That's how you map the supply chain 
if you can't get a supplier, it's going to help you. So you work on innovations. Where am I going to get innovations? And then you start talking about who supplies this and how can we get there? And when you're doing the plant tour, you go through the warehouse and you look for who's supplying that supplier. So lots of things, lots of things you can do uh, that help you, but you have to have an organization behind you that enables you to do it. Yes, and I think what we're also seeing is that we have to have an aware consumer population uh, that seems to be demanding more sustainability, demanding more of these things. Uh, they they want to know the chain of custody. Uh, they want to know where their fish is, is coming from or their chip or the from, you know, in their cell phone or whatever. Um, so there, there seems to be a lot of uh, the pressure from the, from the consumer side uh, which I think is driving some of this innovation and some of the concern of the of the supply chain match mapping. For sure, and then you know you have your own responsibility to make sure that you don't you don't put your organization at risk at any time. So you know, understanding the supply chain, understanding where you get why you have a sole source, working with your R and D teams, engineering teams to be able to um, help you map. Make sure that they understand the value of the mapping, because that stuff can happen on a new product easier than it can an existing product that's been in ongoing for a long time. When you're working on a new product, you can ask for things that you um, you wouldn't ordinarily be able to get from a dis, uh, from. So, so even if you don't have a good program, you can start one. So, I guess that might be some of the good news here uh, as we as we wrap up. Uh, one that um, th there is pressure from the consumer side to to have more uh, sustainability and traceability of products through the supply chain. Um, and the second is uh, we are also in a rapidly changing world where everybody's looking for innovation from their supply chain. And as you're saying then that when you make an innovation as you make a change, that is always uh, an opportunity to improve your process, improve your, your mapping, improving your, uh, your sense of your traceability of your product. Absolutely. And, and, and just to kind of summarize this, you know, it, you, 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 have to, you have to have an organization, uh, especially if your organization or your, your um, corporation puts a sustainability policy on the, um, on the web as, as a corporate policy that says you are mapping, you are auditing, and you are getting compliance across the supply chain. If you have a statement like that on your website, I did a lot of research on forced labor, and a lot of people have that statement on their website. You better be able to back it up and show that you're doing it, for sure. Absolutely. And, and, and so, you know, it's one thing to say we're auditing. It's one thing to say we're educating all of our suppliers on ethics and sustainability and forced labor. and uh, But then you got to be able to have the compliance for the audits and you have to be auditing and you have to have a, a, um, a correction program for when you're out of compliance. And it's the same with mapping. You should have the map. If you don't have the map, you probably don't have very much control in the supply chain. Excellent. Well, thank you very much, Bill. Uh, this has been uh, very uh, en enlightening and I'll be careful what I eat now. <laughs> so make sure you get anchovies from refrigerated containers. <laughs> thank you very much. Take care. Bye.